The Mike Tomano Happening. Happy Thanksgiving week from your friends here at the Mike Tomano Happening Podcast. Much to be thankful for, indeed. Family, friends, health, making a living doing what I love, the usual goodness that we express gratitude toward, God, the universe, or circumstance, whatever your chosen path may be. And also uh, some instances that occurred over this past weekend which ignited the happiness inside me. Uh, My 10-year-old great-niece, Abby, harvested a beautiful 10-point buck in Wisconsin, whitetail deer season underway. It's like a national holiday up in uh, Wisconsin, eh? Abby has a very spiritual connection to the great outdoors, a very deep understanding of Mother Nature's sustaining renewable resource of game meat, and she is uh, very much connected to the woods and the water. It's really something to see. She's got it going on. Yeah, she's a better hunter than I am. And I've been doing it for 50 years. I also got to see my nephew, Octavio. He's a high school freshman. He kicked ass in a swim meet at a suburban school. And also, I got to grab my phone here. I got a text from one of my drum students' mothers. And it really, man, just made my day Saturday. I'd gotten done teaching lessons and uh, was driving with my wife out to run some errands and go to visit a friend and I'm trying to find this, uh, should have had this prepped, but uh, let's see here, where is she at? Oh, here it is. She, uh, after our lesson, you know, her son did very well, and we're working on some hard things for him, and he's having breakthroughs every week in our drum lessons, and she said, it says, we simply couldn't be happier to have found you as a teacher. You are so joyful and encouraging. Please know how rare and valuable you are. I mean, that made my day, made my weekend. And uh, yeah, I'm plenty, plenty to be thankful for. Well, I spent Saturday at my friend's house who has returned from a hell of a medical whirlwind, overcoming 70 days of hospitalization due to a detached aorta on his heart and two resulting strokes. Debilitating. You know, I mean, for the first few weeks, the doctors were bracing us for the worst. His recovery, nothing short of miraculous. Do I believe in miracles? You bet. And I'm thankful for him. To uh, quote Bob Weir, I need a miracle every day, but we'll take them when they decide to show up. So today we're going to talk about inspiration. It's everywhere. There's really no such thing as writer's block. I hear that a lot, you know, uh, suffering from writer's block. If one possesses the ability to put words together in a cohesive enough manner, to deem oneself a writer, then there is no such thing as writer's block. There's only a lack of new experience, an inability or stubbornness to approach your art from a new angle, or perhaps there's a lull in activity that could be caused by, you know, a bunch of different instances. But as artists, we must be open to inspiration. Early in my detachment from the nine-to-five world and launching myself into a career of creativity, I found that my attention was drawn by different factions of art and entertainment and different ways to express myself. So, you know, for one, music is paramount in my life, listening to it and creating it. 
And as a musician, primarily as a drummer and percussionist, I've spent the required 10,000 hours practicing, studying, and pursuing that craft. There's tens of thousands more hours to endure. It's rewarding, it's frustrating, and ultimately a very fulfilling experience that's taken me to the recording studio, concert stage, and the lesson room now, which I really, really love. And as a songwriter, I've listened and learned the craft from hundreds, thousands, an endless well of discovery. From classical music to hip-hop, Gordon Lightfoot to Slayer. You know, there's a million ways to tell stories through music. And when I listen to a song... Initially, my reaction is purely sensory, you know, it's uh, physical, mental, emotional. It's an involuntary reaction, you know, uh, like Chicago's feeling stronger every day makes me excited and joyous. The Beatles uh, in my life brings about this wave of nostalgia and uh, melancholy. And again, the examples are infinite. And then you, you start delving into the craft as a songwriter How did they do what they did so well? How are the instrumental passages arranged? What details are applied to paint the mental and emotional picture more vividly? You know, as a drummer, I mean, I I could list hundreds of drummers that have inspired me. You, You watch and you get inspired and you aspire to be better. Buddy Rich taught me that you've got an obligation to give it all you got every single time. Steve Gadd showed me that you weave your chops into the music with the song coming first. Andy Newmark, another one of my favorite drummers, who played with everyone from Lennon to Yoko to Sly and the Family Stone and Carly Simon to Roxy Music, dozens of others. He showed me how to make every single note count in how wonderful a simple groove speaks volumes over, you know, a chop fest. And he has the chops. He just let them come out organically. You know, something all young drummers have to learn. It's a never-ending journey to find inspiration and set new artistic goals. Writer's block, nah. It's just you're low on inspirational fuel. So I look to find, and I suggest that every aspiring artist do so, find inspiration from others, whether they're peers or legends. Early on, you know, you may find yourself imitating a style But that's a dead end, ultimately, and finding your own voice takes a a digestion of your influences and then an objective study of where you are at the present time in your craft. You know, I cannot play drums like John Bonham, but I can apply the sensibility of having a solid groove and a feel of swing to what I do. So, you know, my plan early on At the age of 22, when I left that forklift running and devoted myself to performing and creating and writing, my plan was to pursue radio as a springboard for my other endeavors. You know, I knew there would be compromise in radio. So allowing that, I could make music, write plays, and pursue other artistic expressions untethered. You know, just name-dropping some inspirations from Hunter Thompson. I learned to twist and squeeze every drop out of a detail. From Lenny Bruce, you have to be honest at all costs. From W.C. Fields, you know, subtlety and humor. Timing. Roman Polanski, attention to nuance in your presentation. Keith Richards and Lemmy, you know, living it. Miles Davis, adapting trends and then making them your own. 
There's a makeup artist, Tom Savini, who uh, revered in the horror circles. But he once said to me in an interview that his motto and what he lived by and the way of operating in his career was that the more you can do, the more you will do. And that got him constant work. And we've talked about that approach. Groucho Marx, confidence, Pete Townsend, commitment to vision. When everybody else tells you you're, you're crazy, stick with it if you feel it. I mean, I could go on for hours, days, months, years. And when I started in radio, I thought for sure I would be a trailblazer and as a result be granted absolute freedom because I'd be so awesome. And in some instances I did, and I still enjoy more freedom to create my radio show the way I see fit than probably most of my peers. But terrestrial radio is not the place to wage the war for total control over your art. Those situations are few and far between. And I think my biggest beef has always been with the radio industry that they don't realize what a precious art form it is, or they, they haven't for many years. You know, I'm often asked to coach newcomers in radio, but they don't seem to get it. They don't seem to have a reverence for the roots. It's hard to tell someone who wasn't witness to spectacular radio performances not to wander in thought while they're on the air and to avoid arguing with co-hosts or to learn the rules of improvisation and understand why they are applied to any creative collaboration that is successful. You know, it seems futile, but I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I long for the days of uh, personality radio and I try to keep that alive in what I do on my morning radio show. It's important to expose yourself to the roots of your craft, whatever they may be, or whatever that craft might be. Learn from the modern day masters and then go back, find out who they learned from and keep going. It'll make your ability to express yourself richer, no matter what your chosen medium is. You know, there's many broadcasters who shaped my approach, the big personalities that I listen to, the great hip music jocks. And Ed Till is my guest today. From the first time I heard him on the radio back in the early 90s on Chicago's infamous AM 1000 talk station, I was enthralled. Uh, he was engaging, articulate, poised, well-read, fierce in his opinions. He was on fire every time he opened the mic, and he was always two steps ahead of the game, totally focused. And he continues to be one of the greatest talkers on the American airwave landscape. And you're about to find out what I mean. He's one of the most vibrant personalities in American talk radio, a huge influence on my career. And uh, for decades, he's brought thought-provoking content to the air, articulate vision, great sense of humor, and very much inspired insight. Uh, the first time I heard him on Chicago's legendary talk comedy station, AM1000, I knew I had to get to know this guy as I was an aspiring radio personality. And uh, he had everything that I aspired to have in my program. He had a love of music. He had a articulate uh, sensibility about communicating with people. He was not cookie cutter. And I remember, well, first of all, welcome, Ed Till. How are you, sir? Mike, it's great to be with you, man. Thank you. Yeah, you're you you are one of my favorites. You know that we've kept in touch over the years. And the first time I heard you, I remember because you know AM one thousand was basically 
wacky hijinks. You know, it was Brandmeier in the morning, Stephen Gary in the afternoon. And I remember Steve Dahl, because I was an avid listener, saying, you want to stay tuned for this new guy, Ed Till. He's really different. And I thought, okay, well, let's see what this guy's all about. And you were on fire as soon as you came out. But you weren't, you were talking issues. You were talking, you know, the political landscape of America and you pulled me in and boy, could you communicate, man. And you're now, that is so, uh, so great to hear. You know, I had the same experience that you did uh, with a host that was on when I was a teenager and it was the first year that I was driving. So I had this perfect alone time in the car to look for more than music on the air, mm-hmm. popping around to these talk stations. And I find a guy named Alex Bennett. Mm. He was just, he was just admitted to the hall of fame uh, in the last year, a true legend, but he did to me what I did to you. All right. You, you see, it yeah. gets in there. You're like, Oh my God. You know, the guy loves words. That was the first thing. <laughs> yes. As soon as I heard the words, I'm like, wow, what is that? I think I know what that is. And I was hooked. Yes. If you could paint the picture and then storytelling, you know, you got to have, I think all the great radio people, you mentioned Stephen Gary, uh, Jonathan Brandmeier. I mean, that building that was like working at the, uh, at the, uh, Vatican of radio, right? right? Everybody's right. a saint and a God. It was incredible. But as soon as I got there, it was welcome that I was different. Yeah. Like th- there was no sameness desired by anyone. Uh, Greg Salk, one of the great program directors in American radio said that to me, he goes, you know, this is, you're not going to hear anybody uh, trying to be like anybody else. This is where you get to be you hundred percent. Yeah. So I felt that off this Alex Bennett guy, and I'm so glad I got under your skin. You're, um, Having me on today is really terrific for me. I'm, I'm really enjoying this, Mike. Oh, thank you, man. I've been, you know, I, because I'm now in oldies radio. I do oldies in the morning and it's a very successful show, but it's, you know how music radio is these days. It, it's extremely formatted and I'm looking at quarter hours tighter than I've ever done so in my career of 30 years. And So I said, well, I'm going to get back into the podcasting scheme of things so I can do long form conversations. And basically my wife and I went out for dinner and she said, well, so what's your idea of the podcast? And I said, well, I want to have interesting conversations with amazing people. And she said, that's it. Just go with Seinfeld on it. You know, it's a show about nothing, but I've been able to talk to everybody from Ron Carter, who's the like the most recorded bass player and jazz legend that ever lived. Um, I've had heavy metal people on. I've had, you know, Jackie the Joke Man Martling. And so I just want to delve into what makes people tick that turn me on, you know? And like I was saying, when I first heard you, I was like, this guy is so articulate. He's funny, but he's not goofy or stupid. There's there's an ins- there's like a Lenny Bruce feel to him where he's trying to make a point. He's not just trying to make you laugh. He's trying to make a point with that. And and so uh, we're going to get into all that. But, you know, first of all, you're coming up on two years. Am I correct? With Florida Man Radio? Uh, you know, I'm really so blessed. Okay? Yeah. Uh, each place where I've arrived in my career had something special about it, yeah. really special. This company is formed around 
the nucleus, an explosive nuclear uh, core of free expression. It's amazing the appetite. Like mm. the audience relationship is one thing because, you know, every part of America, every great community in America has qualities about it that you learn gradually when you host and go back and forth with people. But inside the building, it was always difficult to get them that massive enthusiasm. Mm. You're like, man, you killed it in that. That segment was great. Like people would pop into your studio, hit the door open. When you go to commercial, go, dude, you got it. Mm. And then go down the hallway. So that's what's happening with Florida man radio. That is joyful. Like every day, like we are gangbusters like ever, but it's so welcome. The path is so well cleared. You just want to go galloping like one of those old Westerns. You want to go galloping through the valley yeah. because there is a place to go. There is a place to be. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, the landscape of talk radio is again, it's been swallowed up. It's either one way or the other politically. It's ditto, 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 ditto down the, down the, the lineup. It's the same talking points, but you have found a way to put yourself in creative situations. I want to talk about some of the stations that you worked at. The one in New Orleans was completely out there. I mean, everybody was completely different. And I think that's kind of what you're doing here at uh, Florida Man Radio is it's personality radio. It's not political radio. It's not sports radio. It's who are you and what can you bring to the airwaves? And I think that's those are very hard to find those stations these days, but they're always successful when they're done right. You know, it's like the friends you make at work. You know, you take a job, you're in a cubicle, you're with other people, you go to the break room. And before you know it, you know what they care about. Yeah. They come in. Oh, my God, there's traffic with the kids at the school. I'm going nuts. And by overhearing them, absorbing them, then, you know, after you know them a while, you can say something to them about what they're talking about. And then one day. They just like open up to you. Yeah. Walk into the break room and go, you know, my spare tire this morning. What is that? And you realize, oh my God, they trust me. I love this. Uh, now I, I, I can say more. I can engage with them. And uh, that's the format. The yeah. format is the format of the engagement of the, the, you know, you probably love talking about this because you love great things about the country. Uh, I grew up in the era of the muscle car. Right. So anytime right. on the air, if I mention a Hemi engine, if I talk about a 440 GTX, if I talk about a cowl induction, on a, we're going to do 20 minutes on that. Right. And if we're going to talk about what kind of tools we used, you went to your uncle's house and you put the car up on the on the curb because you didn't have a jack and you're lying in the gutter working on your oil pan. But you're taking your girlfriend out at night. You got to get the car washed and you got to scrub up. Oh my God, we got an hour of fantastic radio. Yeah, and you find out, and there's millions of those topics. What are people passionate about? What lights the fire? It's funny you mentioned uh, changing oil. My old man used to look at me when I used to say, I have to go get my oil changed, and he would just shake his head like, what do you mean you need to go get? Because he had that green jumpsuit, baby, and he was un, you yeah. know, sliding underneath that LTD. What's wrong with you? I got, I got the wrench for the filter right here. What, what are you, are you, what are you talking about? Somebody else. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah, no, my, my grandfather was like, my grandfather used to, he used to, my grandfather's a great story. 22nd version comes from Italy. 
they were totally waiting for him. He had the family, had everything. He goes to work for Chrysler Motors, and he learned English before he got here. Became a service manager like in the 1930s. Mm. This guy is uh, like knows everything about cars. He's an old man when I'm a kid. He diagnoses from the window of the house. You bring the car in front of the house. He listens out the window for you. You go up. You talk to your grandfather. He tells you what to do to the car. Yeah, that's they. They were cut from a different cloth, my friend. I oh know. my god, I got every strand of it I could. Right I on. got every strand of that fabric that I could get. I re, you know all of them. I have an uncle who was an elevator operator for Johnny Carson. Wow. Johnny Carson to the Tonight Show in Rockefeller Plaza, the earliest, earliest Tonight Show. But he was the elevator operator. Johnny's ready to go. And he rode up with him for every show. Yeah. Uh, is that the world? Who, who's going to trade that job? My uncle Greg loved working the elevator at NBC. I bet he got the inside story on so many things with Johnny. Uh-huh. Can you imagine? You imagine yeah. when he smelled the booze or when he's got <laughs> lipstick on his collar and my uncle Greg is giving him the old eyeball. Like my uncle Greg would, would uh, make any allowance for Carson. Right. Believe me, anything Carson. Right. But I could see the face of Mr. Famous right there a little bit different than he normally is. Oh, yeah. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's the world. That's the world that gave birth to radio. Radio was born through this, the very first shows, the biggest personalities at the inception of the whole medium were this. Yeah. We're just revisiting uh, what the great ones have done before us. Yeah. Well, you talk about Alex Bennett and, uh, you know, all those guys that were coming up, they were fearless. And I wanted to talk, you know, I want to get into that because following your career, I mean, you know, Atlanta, Los Angeles, New York, New Orleans, Detroit, so many places that, you know, over the years you have, worked in syndicated television and knowing you as a friend, I know that you have had to have had a resolve. You love what you do. That's obvious, but there's been times when you left big gigs because they didn't feel right. And there's times when you took, you know, smaller gigs because it did feel right. And you kept going. I want you to give a little insight into how that mindset comes in when you when when you don't say you know what I'm just going to do this or I'm going to open a bar in in Manhattan and host stand up nights or you know what keeps you coming back through the thick and the thin of it? Right. Oh, absolutely! It's a great question. You're actually going to help me now by asking. I'm going to be listening to myself as I give you this answer <laughs> to see what I'm going to know that I don't realize about myself. But it's a great question. Um, In today's news, I'll start this way to get everybody on the same page. Today's news, there's a book quoting Jack Bruce of the band Cream describing Eric Clapton. That's the quote that's in the media last 24 hours. This little soundbite from the book of what Eric thought. And I think I feel a lot of synergy with this guy, even though you know, I met him for like seconds at a time. Mm. But I studied him since I was a kid. I mean, he really took over from John Lennon. I was a John Lennon kid. Then I became an Eric Clapton kid with the cream. Right. So the quote about Clapton is this is Jack Bruce. He says, um, Clapton thought that cream was just going to be a little 
blues trio. And that's what Eric wanted. Just a little blues trio. Mm. Great, committed, but little, little. Then you look at what Cream became, but little. So I think I was the same way. I heard Alex Bennett. I worshipped uh, Bob Grant, who was a monster mm. shock talker in New York. I mean, he was just Armageddon every day. Yeah. And I was the listener of his during the Vietnam War. So he wanted to win the Vietnam War every day. He did not want to get out of Vietnam. He wanted to flatten Vietnam and put a true value hardware uh, downtown. So the Alex Bennett entry point was like, wait a second. It's not big like Bob Grant. It's not big like Vietnam. That's not me. I want to get small and deep. So when I look at how Clapton pursued that, you know, Cream blew up on him. Then he goes Derek and the Dominoes. He goes Mm -hmm. Blind Faith. He's all over them. I think I felt the same way. Like, I'm not going to let anything change my intention. I'm an intentional, deliberate radio artist. You know, it's a word that people don't use anymore. But the union is the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. Right, right. So I felt artistic license to do this. And I think Clapton was the same way. He proved himself he's a great guitar player, but he wanted his artistic license to get stamped all over the place. I'm doing this because it matches with me. I'm doing that because it matches with me. I'm not doing that. It's a mismatch. And you're very, very insightful on this because the money was exploding in that era. Right. The kind of money that radio people were getting paid was off the hook. I couldn't believe it. I certainly didn't go into this thinking, oh man, I'm going to make a million bucks. I thought, let me get into this. I'll have a great self-expression career and I'll be in a suburb with a three-bedroom house and a dog and that's what you do. Oh my God. It went to the next level altogether. People making seven figures to be. So, that changed it. That put it into the show business compressor. Right. Oh, my God. Consultants and, and the crowd. You mentioned television. You know, uh, when I did network TV at ABC, you have to do a run through of your monologue for the lawyers. The lawyers come to the rehearsal and the rehearsal is transcribed for the lawyer. Just in case you go off script, what you said, the lawyers come back with. So. This happens at like two o'clock in the afternoon for a seven o'clock in the evening (laughs) show. Yeah. So I don't know what to do. I'm finished. I go back to my uh, little area. I didn't have a dressing room. We have an area. I'm hanging out in my area. And uh, the lawyer comes over. He goes, hey, I just want to go over your transcript. I go, great. And he says, here it is. I'll explain it to you. And as I'm looking at it, he starts to talk. They crossed out everything I said. Uh, The whole monologue was crossed out. (laughs) It was six minutes on camera, and they left me about a hundred words. I had to do a complete rewrite. So I did. We always think, "Oh my God, what's this all about?" For like thirty seconds, and you look around, you go, "It's ABC. This is the replacement show for Bill Maher. It's when Bill Maher is leaving ABC. We're doing the summer replacement show into the night." So. You, you are, all of a sudden you recognize, oh my God, just do what they tell you before you wind up in the parking lot. Right. So I ran back to a quiet area and I wrote the tamest, lamest version of what I had just done. It got cut again and I finally got to do five minutes, but you 
it was not your five minutes. It was the five minutes approved by like seven people at ABC Network. So that was the biggest mismatch of an incredible career break. So, oh my God, you're at ABC, you got on anything. You know, the network president did come down, but he talked to a lot of people, but he did come over to me. So that was, that was brilliant, he said. And then he, that was it. It took like a nanosecond, he walked away. But if you wanted to be in that world, I was right there at the doorstep. All you had to do was lean in and do what they tell you. So I was the other guy. I walked right back out. I was like, oh, well, that was interesting. That will empower right. me on the road I'm on, but I'm not with those clowns. I, I didn't go through all of this to go be with them. Yeah, right, so that's right. Goes, yeah. Well, and so, but, but, so on a practical side, yes. you have to learn how to manage your money early on because here you are. Okay, <laughs> you're at one place. You're at one place making, you know, three four hundred thousand dollars a year and then you're on the beach as they call it in the radio world and you you get this yeah yeah smaller market comes up and you but but i want to go back to the eric clapton thing sure he he went into hey this will be fun i got ginger baker and jack bruce we're gonna play some blues and then it took a life of its own i think you have noticed that in certain gigs when these upstart stations, you know, you're taking a chance, you're going out to WTKS in Orlando. It was just starting. And that was an innovative station. That was like almost the punk rock of talk radio. And Beautiful. you yeah. saw that and you went for it. So you got that instinct, but you knew like Eric Clapton, that some things take on a life of their own. Let's see what happens. Exactly. You can't, you can't marry these people, but you, you know, it gets so close. You you feel great. And then, oh, you know what happened at TKS? We had ownership changes like crazy. Mm. Oh, my God. You know, we were started by a genius by the name of Mark Lass, L-A-S-S, uh, press broadcasting, uh, just a genius. And he envisioned the whole thing with his elder counterpart in the company. Uh, forget the guy's name, but he, a big, tall executive dude. But Mark saw the whole thing. He uh, got a hold of uh, Jay Clark, one of the great talk radio programmers ever, went on to KLSX. And um, that building became something of its own. Like Mark sealed it off, protected us. We had plenty of advertising. I mean, it was, it was a good advertising vehicle. It's a great signal. But he put a wall around us to protect us and let us go crazy. Yeah. And it was really fantastic. But um, Bud Paxson, big time billionaire, right? Uh, flies the Bell jet helicopter there, you know, lands the copter in front of the building, the new king of Siam. Uh, he bought it. And we were all huddled into one room to be spoken to by the king. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> we're like, what? Paxson? Because Paxson was a brand name of ownership that we didn't want to be a part of. Yeah. Like Paxson was like the bad guys. They as a matter of fact, the general manager of our competition at the time came on my show one day because they fired somebody. And I said, you know, this Jenny Sue Rhodes, what's her problem? What is this guy? Do? Like I'm sticking up for a guy got fired on a neighboring station. She calls in. She's like, Ed, I want to talk to you. I said, let's go. What is your problem? Like we went at it tooth and nail. And then in three months, She's my general manager. Oh, wow. Beautiful. So, right. But the thing was, our paradise quickly changed. Yeah. Then it was the corporate way. You know, know, I'll tell you an old signal. When they switch your pay period 
to first and 15th, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> Once upon a time, it was every Friday, the money was in there. Now it's first and 15th. You're right. Because yeah, they're, they're going to do as little work as possible to support you and take as much profit off of your work as they can. Yeah. So tough. Yeah, it changes the whole thing. Well, I think, you know, in WTKS in Orlando, hearing it when I was down in Florida, there was a nice lineup of talkers and, and then the weekends were like free form rock and roll. And it was like free form talk, free form. It was free thought radio, which I thought was uh, amazing. You know, well, I was, I'm saying like, imagine, imagine a young executive yeah. allowing that. Yeah. We're going to be, so what, what are you saying? Uh, we're going to be a talk radio station Monday to Friday. And then we're going to play alternative music on the week. What are you nuts? Nobody does that. You're going to confuse it. And the more people criticized it, the cooler it was yeah. like everybody listen. I listened to our station constantly all weekend. It was the best music. And we had killer DJs. We didn't have formatted. DJs. We had anecdotal DJs. I was at the beach today. I saw Mary Ellen. This goes out. To, it was all personal and fun. It was really fun. Yeah. 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 And you've weathered some things. I think the first time I saw, you now, I had heard you, I had called your producer and this story has been told uh, before, but I had called your producer and held on to talk to you. And I eventually met you at a concert of a mutual friend, Enough's Enough. And uh, we went. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you and I did some things. I interviewed you for cable television. I, uh, I kind of helped you out when you went to Y108, which was a small station run by our friend Scott Loft. You were getting ready to. Oh, my God. Well, you yeah. know, I'm so, you should, you should, well, we should stop there for a second. How great a guy. You know, Scott and you are like, you're cut out of the same DNA. Another real radio person. Yeah. Died in the wool, authentic radio guy. Now, why 108? Put that in perspective now. That's a suburban station. Yeah. I went there for like six or eight months before, maybe a year. I take it back. It could have been a full year before Orlando. What's become of that station? What what happened to that station right after I left it? I think it was uh, went Spanish. But the, here's the thing about Scott Loftus, and and this is this is key because looking yeah. at your career trajectory and his, Scott was getting monster numbers on this station tonight because he just brokered the nighttime. They were like, hey, listen, we're just selling morning, midday, and afternoons. What do you want to do? He got Pizza Hut and Coca Cola and beer companies. So he could play heavy metal and talk about whatever he wanted and interview, you know, Ronnie James Dio or whatever. And right. the ratings went through the roof. They were killing the loop, the loop FM, which was indeed exactly the rock. Right. Wow, I'm so glad to know this. I did not know. This. And so the big thing is Scott Loftus is now going to be at the loop. And I remember this and this was a real light bulb ed for me because I was just starting out. He was so authentic, and I listened to guys like you. I listened to him, and I was like, you got to be yourself. you got to be dedicated. Whether you're playing music or whether you're talking issues, you've got to be authentic. And I was, I was, this was germinating inside me. I see Scott go to WLUP, and again, I'm not speaking for Scott Loftus, but right, right, right. I see him getting there. And here's a guy that was known for spinning Motorhead and, and you know, crazy rock bands. And all of a sudden, they're taking that away from his show, and he's playing Soul Asylum, and he's playing oh, Don Henley. Yeah, he's Don Henley. Don Henley on <laughs> and oh. soon, 
He uh, disappeared from the radio landscape, and uh, the word is that he's now, you know, just doing a regular job. But right. I learned from watching that, you know, from the sidelines, right. and right. I learned from sure. when you were taking it to the edge at the loop, and it was it was amazing. Uh, the stuff that you were talking about for Louis Farrakhan show. Is- I was going to say, remember that day? I was uh, the building was surrounded. We have to sneak Ed Till out of the building. Oh, uh, Larry Ward, Larry Ward comes to me because we got to sneak you out of the. I said, what are you talking about? Oh, we got to sneak you out of the building right now. That you know, I was filling in for Kevin. That's why that show hit so hard. That was in Kevin's time slot. Midday, yeah. Yeah, quite oh, <laughs> a time to talk about Louis Farrakhan. And I remember what it was, was I was interested in breaking down Farrakhan. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to go for, oh, it's Farrakhan, uh, don't bother. I was going to oh, let's go uh, point by point with this guy. Yes. Uh, let's deconstruct him. Whoa, that, that was a lot for a midday in 1990, I believe, 31 yeah. years ago. Uh, yeah. uh, it was, it was. Remarkable radio. And I remember thinking, oh boy, this, <laughs> this is great uh, stuff, right, man. It's right up there with the Naked Show. The Naked, you know the show, naked yeah. show. Oh, the Naked Show. Everybody loves to talk about that. That was the um, Newt Gingrich contract for America era. So local counties in Florida were trying to outdo each other. Who could be more right wing? Uh, here, where are we going to clamp down? So there's a tiny piece of a beach, Canaveral National Seashore Beach, one section where it was clothing optional. It wasn't even uh, nudism. It was just if you want to go naked and get sun, no sun lines on your uh, tan lines, you could do it. It was very, very quiet, not well attended, handful of people. And then they threatened to shut it down. The place went crazy. Nudists came from all over the world to defend it. Now you got thousands of naked people going crazy on the speech every weekend. It was fantastic. And, of course, that revved up the Republicans. They're going to shut it down. So I went and did the show in the nude for the entire three hours. Yeah. Stood there naked as a jaybird. Had the listeners come up and set a call so had people sit at the table. So you got a naked listener, you got naked me, and you got all the television stations shooting <laughs> us from the table. It's fantastic. I have but that. Only- I actually have that newspaper clipping in my uh, file of radio geekdom. When there you, you go. Yeah. Exactly. We will still convict Ed Till on this. I would like to reintroduce this evidence. <laughs> uh, I have a picture. It's got a picture of you with the headphones on, and that's it, baby. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And, you know, you, you look at the picture. Oh, my God, you were so skinny. Like, wh- weren't you embarrassed to be a bag of bones? Not me. I, I'm flailing. I got the arms going. <laughs> I'm screaming into the crowd. Yeah, yeah, fantastic stuff. But that was TKS. And that was the vision of that guy, Mark Lass. He, yeah. he was open and down for any energy like that. We're going to sidle up with the listener. You know, uh, Russ and Bo did those amazing car washes and the girls who were on the hood of the car. Yeah. And Jim Phillips was the elder statesman. You know, he spoke with the age and experience. It was an incredible. And then, of course, Howard was the morning show. Yeah. Stern was the morning. Yeah. yeah. That's when Stern was great, man. Those those were amazing shows. What the hell happened to him? You know, I don't uh, have serious. I, I guess he only... He comes in only three days a week. Is three, day, right? three days a week. But, you know, and I had Sirius. When I got my latest truck, I had Sirius. And I was listening. 
And it was so monotonous. It was, he was going off on COVID. He was talking about his uh, Peloton bike. And, you right. know, and, and, I have a, I have a, yeah, I got a close friend who listens to him every day. It's and gives, the same it's thing. It's, the uh, same, it's horrible. And he, uh, I don't know. I think something mentally happened to him because I think in therapy, he had looked at what he had done to get to the top uh-oh, and it, uh-oh. and it changed him, you know? And yeah, uh-oh, bad, bad. you never want a talented person to go to therapy. Uh-uh. So worst thing you can do. <laughs> right, right <laughs> it's the worst place for you. The last thing you want is somebody else helping you organize what's supposed to be disorganized. Yeah. yeah I was just, uh, I was not I, impressed. I listened to him and, uh, well, it was the same thing every day. You know, Ronnie, uh, I don't know. Ronnie did a stripper or Right. Well, that was look. I used to always tolerate that. That's not my thing. I'm not into bachelor parties or any of this, you know, gang bang stuff. But I used to understand that he was helping the guys on the work site. The guys in the office sure. needed that. He was doing that. But I loved who he was. Yeah, it, it was who he was that saw. I mean, I my old uh, Howard tape is 1983. Yeah. That's a cassette of when he first. I think it's one of his last shows on um in dc it's not it's not the the big show with the crash and all with the plane but it's in that little window and i cherish that cassette i mean that was he was another one come on he was a natural he needed to be on the air right and you know just the interviews he had with carlin and and grandpa lewis l lewis Remember they that? would go so oh, off, so God. off the wall. And, and I used to, I used to think to myself, this is an anomaly. I will never get that sort of freedom from the people I work for. And, and, and I, you know, I, I always stretched, but you've got to prove yourself and it comes down to ratings and, and now ratings are taken differently. So it's got to be in very small increments. And so uh, kudos to you and your programmers at uh, Florida man radio. First of all, before we go on, how can people hear you uh, across the world? Oh. Easy as could be. Uh, download the Florida Man Radio app. Uh, iOS, uh, iPhone, and Google. Get it. It's a great app. It's not an overloading app. Not going to be very heavy on the phone, but it's the best way to hear us every day. And all the shows are stored there. Mm. So if you want to catch an old show, just scroll down, you tap it, and it's there. Uh, plus, I put everything on uh, Facebook, Ed Till Show. Yeah. So no the facebook.com ed till show i post up the radio show i also i facebook live with the video but i have to say i don't have it a hundred percent perfect yet i'm trying to get my video to a level that i can enjoy it and facebook is a they got something called latency like between the moment i say it and it gets on to my facebook page is longer because i've been busted a lot on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, you know, it's, it's fun, but use the app, Florida man, radio app. You got me every day and you got the old shows right there with just the tap of a finger. Yeah. It's amazing stuff. I constantly listen, constantly checking in with Ed Till, you know, cause I gotta, I gotta stay true to my roots. You know, I gotta, I gotta see what my, my guys are doing, you know? Dude, uh, you know, it's funny. you got all those, uh, th- you post a lot. Like I like, I lo- I enjoy Facebook with somebody like you as a consumer. I, I don't have a, a, the knack that you do, but you're always getting a good vibe. Uh, pick me up. Uh, you got your, your kids. You, you are just, you do make it your business to put other people in a good mood. Thank so you. I want you to know it lands on the uh, consumption and big time from a thousand, uh, 1500 miles away. 
Thank you. Thank you, brother. That means a lot. And I'll tell you, when I first got on Facebook, you know, in 2009, 2010, whatever, I mean, time is flying so quickly. It's crazy. Uh, I would get into these debates and arguments and gun control and and Democrat versus Republican. And and I start thinking to myself, this is insane. I'm arguing with strangers. I don't even know who the fuck these people are. And, exactly. how, right. and then you start thinking, ooh, because being in radio, we both had people show up at your doorstep. Hey, man, I know you like albums. My grandmother left these. How do you know where I live? You know, shit like that. I remember being in Plainfield with my first wife, bless her heart. She said there's and it was four in the morning. I'm getting up to go do this radio show and we're in the suburbs. We're back in the woods in this home. And she says, there's a car in our driveway. And of course, I got to go on defense. And I walk out and these kids are like, tomorrow, man, we want to do a bong with you before your show. <laughs> like, right. what? How did you find out where I live? Right. <laughs> so, uh, it's crazy. It's so, well, the, loop was, the loop was like that. There was always somebody waiting for uh, Kevin or Steven yeah. or trying to get through the lobby. I just want to give this to Kevin. I just want to give it. You know, there's a lot of that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. Hilarious. You know what? Good for them. Yeah. Good for them. Hey. They, you know, those kids, maybe it's a little inconvenient. And you were you were immediately aware of when you saw what they were. They were harmless. Yeah. Good for them. They enjoyed you that friggin' much. To say, for them. to get yeah. in my driveway. Yeah. But it, 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 it's just crazy. And then you then you kind of diffuse it. And all these are just kids. They, they love rock and roll. I'm guilty of that because during the summers, and I remember being 16. No, I was 15 because I didn't have a car yet. And I would take okay. the I would take the bus to WLS, the Stone Container Building on Michigan and Wacker, and you right. could just take the I would take the elevator up and I could watch Steve and Gary do their show in this darkened hallway. And at first they came out there like, "What do you What do you need?" And you know their producer came. I think it was Dan Filato, who's a great producer. What do you need, right. bro? And I said, "You know what." I'm 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 thinking of getting the radio. I work at my high school radio station, and these guys are my heroes. I just want to watch, and they knew I was harmless, and I would just sit there for four hours and just watch them. What were they doing? You know, it wasn't so much what they were saying. It was I was watching the mechanics of the whole magic go down, and uh, it was pretty neat. It was pretty neat. So yeah, I'm guilty of that as well. You know, you're you know that's a great obsession right there because you knew. What you were looking at is something people don't see. Yeah. There was no way for anybody. Like, all my heroes all went by me without me knowing their facial characteristics until something would put them in the newspaper. Right. It wasn't even close. So when you were looking, and for looking for an entire show, several hours, you were light years ahead of understanding what their best, best fans love them the most would never know yeah. oh yeah man you were in the sanctuary right there yeah it was amazing stuff and then i visited uh i visited the loop during career day in uh i think it was like 83 or 84 right. uh we had to go somewhere where we wanted to work and i just watched bobby Skafish do his show at the loop i was like this is this is what i, I was so in love with the medium and i yeah. always i always thought i wanted to be someone who could make people laugh on the way to work be genuine, touch lives, and really be dedicated to the music. And being a music fanatic and a musician, I've right. been able to transcend format. I've done jazz. I've done heavy metal. I've done classic rock. I've done classic hits. I've done country. 
Although country right. was tough. Modern day country is really tough. And I did three years right. in that trench. But uh, And now oldies playing the 60s and 70s. That's the stuff I grew up with. So, you know, I learned from all you guys. I, You know, one of the things about you is people cannot pinpoint you. You know, if I listen to Ben Shapiro, I know he's a conservative. There's no doubt about right. that. Right. If I listen right. to, uh, you know, well, the great Rush Limbaugh and Dan Bongino and these cats, you know... And it becomes almost where they're they're not going to stray. And it's the same thing with the left. They're not going to stray and call it as it is. But you could never be pigeonholed. You were always a yeah. open-minded right. thinker. And I want to get your take on issues that are popping up, you know, these days, because uh, you've never been a shill. So I want to I want to give you my stance on these things and see where Ed Till uh, falls, okay? By you the way, DeSantis is a rising star in the political arena, and it's his handling of the COVID situation. So uh, how's he holding up in your eyes, being Dude, a Floridian? He, he's, he is a, uh, a, a, what's the word I'm looking for now? That when you're really built for something, it, you're a natural, but he's a virtuoso. Yeah. That's what he is. This is a guy who's done it all. He went to Yale. He's been in the military. He served in a legislature. He's got it, but he never talks their language. He's killing it in this state with business people. Uh, you know, the squeeze here was horrible. We depend on entertainment. We depend on restaurant. We depend on tourists. And all of it went to zero. And he was in there with everybody suffering. Now, I'll give you a real mark of distinction for him in the last 24 hours. He has done this amazing job, and he's got this reputation that you mentioned in your question. But only 24 hours ago, you think about like the uh, uh, tug of war that's been going on with teachers and public mm. education and people that go to school board meetings being told to shut up and all that stuff that happened in the election with McAuliffe and uh, Duncan. All of that, in the middle of all of that, is DeSantis is a genius. Comes out yesterday, I'm giving a huge raise the classroom teachers, I'm giving them bonuses on top of the raise. Now, do you know how quiet the conservative room went on him? Do you know what kind of traitor some people are going to go? But he's a genius because he's not going to get pigeonholed. He's not going yeah. to wind up being anti-teacher. What kind of governor gets anywhere with a state anti-teacher? No. Are you anti-union? Issue by issue. Fight it out tooth and nail. Right. That's DeSantis. He's got a wife who's got cancer right now. This poor woman out of nowhere, young wife, they're facing a challenge. It came out like on a Tuesday. On a Wednesday, he goes to a luncheon with her, stands next to her and says, you know, you're going to do great. And uh, she was supposed to start some new project. He goes, I'll take the project. And there he was like a real husband with his real wife. And he's, even though he's the governor, he's helping carry her load. So these are images. You never get this out of Andrew Cuomo. You're not going to get this out of Newsom. You're not going to get this out of Prince. Right. You're not going to get this out of any of these people. They left that long behind. But DeSantis, Steve, DeSantis is a good learner. He's watching. He's paying attention. Also, he's got something else I like. He doesn't sound like an orator. Even when he's got great news and he's doing it, it sounds a little ordinary, like Joe on the dock is talking to uh, the workforce. This is what we're going to do this afternoon. Yeah. You guys are going to move. So his ordinariness is 
awesome in contrast to all these gas bags. I love the guy. You know, it's interesting. You brought up his handling of the teachers, giving them, you know, because it's, it's, it's a noble profession. But because there's an arena now of people arguing about what's being taught or how kids are being, uh, you know, mandated with this COVID stuff, people just take sides and, and you dismiss every level of it. It's like racism. Of course, I abhor racism. I always have. And there's nothing that I like that even hints of racism, but I don't have to support BLM in their actions or their foundation. But if you don't, then you're racist. It's, it goes back to, you know, everything's racist. Like uh, when, if you didn't vote for Obama, well, it's the only reason is because you're racist. And that's a frightening place that we've, be, that we've found ourselves in this country. Listen, you're talking about a real important issue right now. I like Greg Gutfeld's take on this. We can't be in a prison of two ideas. It's the prison of two ideas. What do you mean? Well, there's only two ways to go. If you don't go this way, I say, what are you, crazy? It's planet Earth. There's a million ways to go. Right. So that's what BLM has used. That's the lever against good. There's only two ways to be. If you don't love us, you're a racist. If you don't uh, march with us, and uh, listen, they could have been mutually exclusive and kept this going if they didn't become anti-cop. If you didn't hate police, I'm all with Black Lives Matter. Uh, uh, John Coltrane's life mattered to me. Herman Cain's life mattered to me. Uh, Chris Rock's life matters to me right now. Black Lives Matter. But Black uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, fry them up like pigs in a blanket. We're done. Yeah, we're done. Now we're done. We're now done. We're, now you, you walked off the mainstream. You went off the deep end. Not us. But, and, and stay there. If you feel that way, stay there. I'm not telling you to come back. I'm not uh, looking for kumbaya. Welcome you back. You're off. I'm not with you. End of story. Right. Well, you know, and we're reached, we've reached a point now where even something as evil and as multi-layered as racism has become a political affiliation. When you, we live in a country where Winsome Sears can be labeled a white supremacist, you know this isn't about racism anymore. I love her. Oh, my God. You know, what a beautiful name. Yeah. What a beautiful woman. What deliberate speech. Yeah. What a great husband. She's as strong as any wall you could build. This is your gal. So yeah. uh, who said it? Perino said it there on Fox. We're all going to love that name for a long time. Mm. She ju- she just got signed as a rookie. I cannot wait for her <laughs> sixth and seventh season when she owns it. Amen. You know, they tell me, you got me going. You talk about Black Lives Matter. How do you explain Michael Jordan at Black Lives Matter? Yeah. How do you explain that? This is a racist country. He's a god. He's overpaid. They threw everything they could in adulation. And by the way, he didn't get sucked in by it. He's an independent personality. This guy walks and talks how he feels anytime. So Michael Jordan never belonged to anybody. Uh, Michael Jordan never had to bow down to anybody. Uh, Michael Jordan was never uh, limited by this horrible, racist society. This systemic racism, the ingress. What was it yesterday? You must have laughed your ass off on this one. It's a racist highway system. Did you know the racist interstate highway system? Yeah. I'm 
I said on the air, well, I get it. You mean the black asphalt? How dare you put black asphalt down on the ground and have millions of people drive over it every day? How much more racist could you be? Black asphalt on the ground and then the whole population on top of it? I mean, what are you talking about? Racist? Oh, yeah. The names of the names of birds. Where, where, I mean, at some point, but what that does is it diminishes the impact of real racism. You know, Jimmy right, Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel, who I think is a complete Paul idiot. McCartney, Paul McCartney's under arrest. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Get over here, Paul. <laughs> right. right now, bitch. Get on, get it. <laughs> Jimmy Sorry, Kimmel said, well, Jim, no, Jimmy Kimmel. And here's Jimmy Kimmel saying that Kamala Harris's low approval rating is because people are racist. Then how do you explain the most votes ever in the history of the presidential election? Right. What the? Hey, how, do you, how do you explain friggin' Halle Berry? Come on, man. Yeah. She's hot. You know, if Kamala Harris would behave herself, she could be queen of the world. She just doesn't know what to do with what she's got. You saw the fake French accent. Oh you yeah, that, that was beautiful. Cool? Yeah, talking uh, about how really how hard it is to be a go- to be uh, in government. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. What a bird. But remember when when they were arguing, go to the border, go to the border. And she goes, I haven't even been to France yet. I haven't even been to France yet. Yeah. Uh, she was practicing the accent since back then. Yeah, it's well, it's uh, it's, it's a mind blower. You know, and you talk about Michael Jordan. But the problem is when you when you promote individual initiative, mm-hmm. you remove your ability to keep people in a collective. And and I think that yeah. to me is the political game, and it and it scares the shit out of me, especially with an eighteen year old daughter, who's who's going into the education world. Uh, you hope that the tide will turn and that people will go back to chant. I mean, Ed, did we ever see? I mean, we grew up, you know, we were pretty liberal in our views growing up and listening to rock music. And did you ever think you'd see a day when people would make fun of someone wanting to be free? Yeah, no, you know, we were born, I'm a 1956 kid, okay, that's my year of birth. So we were born in a an amazing cradle of stability, self-esteem, progress. I mean, it was, we were filthy rich with opportunity. Mm. So we it didn't, who could hate this? was where we would be. You know, yeah. when we saw riots in Brooklyn and we had riots in Brooklyn, uh, 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 what do you call it? I'm trying to think of the famous neighborhood that went up in flames in the early 60s. Uh, Bedford Stuyvesant, right? Yes. Okay, so we were shocked that anybody, no matter how angry they were, would burn the street they lived on. Who would set their own block on fire? So that's when our bubble was burst a little. But until we saw somebody literally set their block on fire, uh, we loved the world that we were born into. It was when parents were always around. Yeah. Baby carriages were everywhere. Everybody went to church or synagogue, and no one said boo about what your religion was. The idea was you believed in something. It had kindness. It had forgiveness. It had humility. You're going to have to cough up when you're a scumbag and admit it and take your lumps, but then you go back. So we did embrace all of this. Um, very naively. Yeah. We had no idea what was going on 50 years before or what would be right around the corner. Uh, yeah. We had neighborhoods too. 
We had neighborhoods where a friend's mother or father would whoop your ass if you're out of line and your parents wouldn't say boo about it. They're like, you know, Absolutely. yeah. Oh, we had the, we had the women hanging out the window. If you crossed the main street in my neighborhood without going to the light, your name would be screamed. Edward, <laughs> get over to the crosswalk. And right away you go, yes, Mrs. Dewey. Yeah. Yes, Mrs. Isaac. You know, you're like, oh my God, I got a neighbor pissed off at me. I'm going to get it when I go home. Yeah. <laughs> well, since we're on this subject, uh, we'll go on a tangent with the, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that I've been keeping up on. I think it's going to come down to, uh, I mean, the self-defense angle is pretty much proven at this point, but I predict, and this is my prediction, and I'm definitely probably not as well versed in it as you might be. Uh, I predict a gun charge coming that that's going to be sustainable. Oh, like he'll be convicted of something minor, but not of the death. Well, he, you know, it was, I think it could be shown that he was uh, illegally in possession of that gun in Kenosha, whether, I don't know how old, 17 or 18 or whatever it is. I can see something going down that line, but when you have the people who he shot that are still alive saying, yes, I pointed a gun at him. I think the self-defense is pretty much self-evident at this point. I agree. Uh, Yesterday I carried, I guess we were on like an hour and a half delay. I had court TV uh, testimony and played some of it. Then the testimony finished yesterday and I played some of that today. And I said, you know, we all know good kids. Well, we saw good kids when we were kids. You know, the goody two shoes, they're not going to go off the block. They're not going to use a curse word. Good kids. But I think today's good kid is raised in a completely opposite of what you and I just described for the last 10 minutes. So he's making all these decisions without guidance. Mm-hmm. Going over there, what he intended to do. All well-intentioned. He's scrubbing graffiti. He's uh, helping people who are being victimized. He feels the threat of uh, his normalcy. He wants to stand up for normal people, but he didn't have any guidance. So I don't think he'll be convicted of anything. Like if I'm on that jury, he walks 100%. Good kid in a lousy world did everything we asked of him. Uh, He understands the law. He knows how to use a firearm. He only used it in self-defense. He hates that he had to use it. Uh, The thing in his testimony that was revealing, you could tell, and the jury would want to know this, but I think it was really clear. He was in danger of his life. Oh, absolutely. That's what this is all about. He thought he was going to die. And he knew, I'm a good kid. I'm trying to do something good. And now they're going to kill me. Am I going to die? So that's the crying uh, jag he went on. I felt for him. You know, he's got acne pimples in his little uh, 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 creases on his forehead. I said on there, he's a serious kid. This kid is serious. He furrows up his brow. He worries about the world. And then he forces himself to do the right thing. He kept calling his assailants Mr. Rosenblum, Mr. Mazinski. He was so uh, good at restraining himself. But society left this kid on his own in that moment. There was no society to protect him. So that's my feeling. We'll have to see how it turns out, you know? Yeah, I remember getting feedback when it first happened. I said, listen, I think these people, Antifa and and the people who were rioting and burning, I, I consider them terrorists because you're terrorizing a neighborhood. You're terrorizing people. And I said, my problem is with the parents who know their kid is doing this, leaving to go into harm's way. 
and no one stops them. And I had a bunch of people and it surprised the hell out of me. They're going, well, we send our kids to war. This is, this is a, a war happening. And boy, there was a crack in my foundation when it came to thinking that there's stability in this country, because if people consider we're at war, right. You know, you know, within ourselves, that's a, that's a strange you know, mindset. This is a really good point you're bringing up. Just the other night, it struck me when I heard the term culture war. I may have heard it forever, mm -hmm. but I heard it being said again with full force. Like I said, all right, so now a kid is coming of age and this is his first experience with the news, blah, blah, blah. Culture war is on. And I said, you know, that was sloppy of us to go along with culture wars. You know, the media uses it as a catchphrase. That's sloppy, sloppy journalism. Uh, the, the culture war is really uh, people uh, failing to get along. We're not at war. Nobody wants anybody dead. Uh, nobody wants, uh, you know, a, a battle over these ideas. But it is being presented. That way. Yeah. And I, I'm like you. I worry that the wrong, per you know, the guy who got the 41 months today, this clown. I mean, uh, you know, mm. I saw that raging face. On January 6th. Yes. January 6th, I have very strong feelings about, right? I'm with the people across the street yes. who didn't riot. You came out to see Trump, and you think they're a bunch of lying bums inside the, the Congress. That's fine. That's yep. being an American. Everybody, Congress has been lying bums most of our lives. Yes. So uh, lying bums and to feel, you know, something, of course they would steal it from me. Of course they don't like me. Of course if they could use a computer against me, they would. That's all legit. As soon as you cross the street mm -hmm. and you start, uh, if you need to bum rush the door, like the, that girl, Ashley, I feel terrible, but I'm all for shooting her. I'm all for shooting her. One more time. I am all for shooting her. That guy is guarding a building. He's got a gun. You are with a group. I'm shooting you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest. The guy got the 41 months. I said it today. I would have shot him too. As he's beating on the cop, you put one right in his head because we're changing the dynamic now. You guys are not going to fight us. This is not a protest, not, right? We can kill you, but you are not going to fight us. Right. So that's what I hated. I said today, uh, the tattoo that will be given to the Trump people. Yeah. They will take raging, crazy skinhead with the beard down to his stomach, raging eyes bugging out of his head, using a weapon to beat on a cop. They will use that to characterize the good mom and pop who stood across the street, didn't do anything against the building, but they felt aggrieved by the Congress and the election result. Absolutely. And I know, I know people who have lost their job because they were at that protest. And that's, that's really, that's the, that's the most frightening part of it all. Sure. You that's know. so that's a, now you're going back to Soviet. Yeah. That's a Soviet. That's Hitler. You know, if they disapprove of you, you pretty soon you'd be a disappearisado. Isn't that what they call you down in <laughs> South America? They make <laughs> yeah, you disappear. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I and, and you and I are both fans of comedians. We both practice humor and comedy. And uh, I've always thought Dave Chappelle was brilliant. And uh, the last few uh, stand ups, you know, I'm able to watch someone say something that that I don't find fits in my comfort zone and I still can appreciate them. Like the things he said about, and his George Floyd, um, you know, rant about Candace Owen, I, you know, Candace Owens, I was, uh, I was, I, I, I was mad at him for that, but, yeah, you get pissed off, but right, that's his thing. Sure. I don't want to yeah. cancel anybody. I'm still a fan. 
And I saw his recent stand-up special, and I found it a bit draining, uh, very poignant, you know. And he basically tells this giant story about his his trans friend or whatever. And um, and he's at this precipice where he's teetering on stand-up comic, leaving his roots to become a social commentator. And so I'm watching that growth. But yep. what stuns me, Ed, is all these comics who kissed his ass for 20 years. He's the greatest. He's the best. They all wanted to be near him are silent now that he's getting canceled or he's getting, you know, jumped at by the, the woke right. mob or whatever they're right. called. And they're right. silent. Where's Sarah Silverman? She hasn't come to her buddy's defense. You know, where mm-hmm. are these people? And it just pisses wow, me off, good. you know? Good. good call on that. Well, you know, this is such a great topic you're bringing up. If um, you look at old Lenny Bruce, and I mean real Lenny Bruce, not the movie with Dustin Hoffman, which right. is good. That's good, too. But if you see the actual Lenny Bruce, there's a series of bits he does in his robe. And it's yeah. about his style. And you can feel he's leaving the comedy behind. Yeah. Okay? So when I saw Chappelle recently, especially those key words that got him in trouble. Remember, it was the phrasing of what he did a couple of weeks that everybody was harping on. So I went and played it, and I said, listen to this now. I don't feel him kidding at all. Right. I don't feel a joke here at all. And I said, you know, why do I still like it? Well, because he's great, but man, he really is. He's he's moving to the edge of the road, like when you're driving near Pikes Peak. You, you don't want to go out of the lane. <laughs> right. You could go down into the Rocky Mountains. So I did feel that. And it was a distinct difference of his tone. Chappelle has a great sarcastic tone. When he's when he's going overboard to set you up for what he's about to tell you, you can feel the pregnant uh, pause in mm. there when he comes in for the laugh. And I couldn't feel it. I said, oh, my God, he's not going for a laugh here at all. Right. He's, just, he's just clobbering these bastards because they make they're pissing them off. You come along. You're some kind of minority. I'm not even sure if you're a freaking minority. And everybody kisses your ass. I'm in the minority that was a goddamn slave, and they don't kiss my ass. So you, all your ass kissing gets behind. My ass gets kissed before yours. Right. Great point. Yeah. I'm all for the point. But I did feel what you're talking about. Wow. The comedy versus becoming a Dick Gregory was like Dick, Dick Gregory, Gregory was a prior to a great extent as well. You know, that he was once jokes only and he went to serious only mm-hmm. and he was a phenomenon when he did it. But it's different. Yeah. You don't feel like we're playing with the idea. Yeah. The yeah. real comedy, an idea is like a beach ball. You could play with it any way you want because we're playing. Yeah, but if we're not playing, then then the next sentence could be a killer, and you could be uh, like in the crosshairs. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's when you you brought up the Lenny Bruce um, era. He went from the Bella Lugosi and the 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 great vignettes where he would do multiple characters, and it was so influential to me to learn how to do multiple voices and talk to each other and create these vignettes. And then I I don't know what album it was on. It might have been at the the you know the Palladium or the Curran Theater where he says. Hey, listen, man, I'm done with bits. And he just, he just right. I don't want to do bits. I just want to free form all the way. And yeah, it's amazing stuff. Um, big balls, big balls. He went uh, after Jackie, Jackie Kennedy. Yeah. Um, assassination. And he's nailing her 
to the wall. I mean, that's bold culture. Yeah. That wasn't disrespect. That was bold culture. He Amen. felt the whole thing was a sales job on him, and he was calling it out. But that, I mean, today, he wouldn't get to first base with that. No. They, they wouldn't let that go. Even Chappelle uh, wouldn't get away with Jackie Kennedy is a scumbag and a coward abandoning her sh- shot husband. That was his, his ransom. You know, when Donald Trump was elected and I was listening to your show and I because I had to keep it in perspective because in my gut, I did not like him as a human being and he made me cringe a lot. And so not being insane, I said to myself, I have to remain objective about this cat's administration and what he does. And so, yeah, he rubbed me the wrong way with the way he speaks, just his attitude. You know, maybe, you know, you're a New York guy, so maybe you can you can understand it, but it just drove me crazy. However, being objective about the presidency and in hindsight, he negotiated globally for America's benefit. He gave so much to the African-American community in terms of the black university funding, uh, support for black owned businesses, and he was extremely transparent. I mean, you know, when I get past the goofiness, I could see where he was going. And it was always a positive move for the most part for the United States. And then in hindsight, I see the fake Russian collusion bullshit and the millions of dollars and endless uh, man hours spent on that and all this manufactured criticism. And then I see the Biden administration. This is supposed to be finally this is us turning the page. It's a complete train wreck in my eyes. Am I completely off on that? No, not only is it, you're right that it's like the results have been bad, right? Afghanistan's horrible. The inflation is horrible. It's horrible. But the thing that's driving him, the contempt for the Trump voter just a couple of days ago, it's these conservative voters that voted for Trump and the mention of Trump all the time. So that's what's poisoning him. This guy refuses to do the job he said he was going to do. I'll bring you together. We'll stop all this crap that Trump started. And then you bring him up every two seconds. Right. Well, he's, it's, it's, it's pushing him to make bad decisions. The other thing about him, it is sad. You and I should really be sad, right? We got a guy so old yeah. that he can't keep up. It's elderly right? abuse. So, it is. Okay, right. So if we were in a department store, if we weren't running a bodega, if we had a car lot, nobody would allow this. Somebody would say to grandpa, look, we're retiring you. Whether you want to retire or not, we need somebody in the job that's like 45 years old. It's got to. So that's really bad now because, you know, a president, if they're, you know, you mentioned Trump's uh douchebaggery is a word we're using on our station now. <laughs> right. It's a great word, douchebaggery. Are you a practitioner? Right. There was some douchebaggery there, but like you said, he was always on the side of a worker, yeah. an investor, yeah. getting your own, uh, getting what you deserve, uh, receiving for your labor, the idea of it not just all slipping away from you. So that we need a great deal. But I don't know. It'd be very interesting to see how 2024 goes. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm really, I'm really going to watch how care because I remember 16 like it was yesterday. Right. And I, I never lost confidence, but all of my friends did. When it came down to the day before election day, they were all telling me, look, man, you know, we're not going to get. And I said, stop. And 820, of course, everything changed on election night. So I'm watching now. That miracle happened. 
Yeah. I felt that miracle coming. That miracle happened. A guy who was never in elected office before took out 16 competitors mm. who were professionals. That's something to say for the founders building a system that lets anybody get in. Yeah. I guess it's true. Yeah. yeah, the midterms are going to be extremely telling about the future. You know, that's it. Well, you know, the soul of the program here is uh, nurturing creativity, inspiring artists. And when it comes to show prep and making the most of every moment on the air, uh, Ed Till, in my books, you are tops. And I learned so much from you. You know, even early on, be prepared not only for where you want to go with a program, but be prepared for it to go way off where you never (laughs) thought it it was going to go. Absolutely. What advice? What's that? You got to you got to revel in it. Yeah. I love that word. You just revel in it, man. Right. It's like diving into the ocean. There's no mistakes. It's all friggin' amazing. Yeah. Yep. Well, what advice do you have for aspiring broadcasters, podcasters, people who want to get out there and speak for a living, speak their mind for a living? I'm, I'm going to give you great advice. I got great advice for these folks. He's still alive, so you should pay attention to him. Go find Larry Davis. Go watch what Larry David has been doing since the beginning of Seinfeld. Mm. Finding ordinary experiences that people go through and then blowing them up with creativity and insight. Mm. I can't believe he's doing season 13, but I say this because a kid, if you're like 19, 20, 21, and you go find this old fossil, Larry David, and he's still nuts. He's still crazy. He's still uh, annoying people deliberately. Uh, Somebody said, I haven't seen the episode yet, but I guess um, he has on the band that did Peaches, uh, the United States of America. I just saw that episode, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but he he can't understand the song, drives them crazy. He's telling them about it, of course. You know, this is their meal ticket for the last 25 years of their lives. To them, it's the greatest thing they ever came up with, and he's nuts. And then the second thing I saw the other day, he loved getting uninvited to the Obama wedding. He didn't want to go, but he felt obligated to say yes when invited. He, He says, the best thing was I got off the phone. And I picked up my crossword puzzle. Yeah. And I'm like, that's where to go, kids. You want to be a comedian. You want to be a re- you want to be a person of self expression. Go to the crossword puzzle. Go to your backyard. Go to the front of the house. Don't watch any media. Take in some life. That's my advice. Yeah, take in some life. Amen. Amen. You know, and that goes for everything. It, no matter what you want to do, you have to bring outside experiences to it. Whether you're a welder or you're a stand-up comic or you're a teacher or you're a, uh, you know, whatever, street sweeper, the more you can bring from the outside into your career, the more enriched it will be. That's beautiful. Without a doubt. And another one, I'll throw this into in a general way. Don't be uh, an ender of ideas. Don't be the one that says, oh, no, I don't like that. Mm. Don't extinguish ideas. Train yourself to accept them for a moment and then personalize them. Yes. But we live, we're living in an era where every time people hear something they don't like, they turn off. I'm like, can't you give it a little bit of a chance? Now, I don't want to hear that. I know what that's all about. That's bad. So if you're a kid and you want to be a radio personality, a stand-up comedian, a writer, and a novelist, whatever self-expression you're looking at, don't 
take the bait. Don't shut it down. Personalize it and share with the rest of us. Amen. Yeah. You know, um, it goes back to when I started at Second City back in 1989, and a young man named Chris Farley was there, and he chewed up the scenery every night. And I, I knew a Chris Farley that was different than the Chris Farley in Hollywood who got pigeonholed at the big goofball. But he right. was a brilliant man, and I got to talk to these guys. Tim Kazarinski would come by, and and I would pick their brains, and they said the exact same thing you did. Everybody's idea is a gift to you. It's, you know, Correct. what did you, what did you bring to the table? Okay. Let's think about that. And how can I add to it? And that's the, that's the, the, the basis of improv. Yes. And Absolutely. yes, yeah, and get, and get your fingerprints all over it. Yeah. Get yeah. close to it. Smush it up to your face, squeeze it in your hand. Don't stand across the street and listen to it all. Right. Don't take it at a distance. Get up close, get the smells, get the humidity, get those sense memories going. And then we're going to love what comes out the other end. Right we're we're going to love it because you, you put in great ingredients, man. You're going to get a great result. That's it. Well, you know, the next time you're on, you and I are going to spend it talking about music because we're both music fanatics. But, okay, we're going to send Ed Till, the old uh, cliche, Deserted Island. You get to bring five records with you, five albums. What are they? Disraeli Gears. Mm. Rubber Soul. Um uh, uh, what's the title of the uh, of Miles Davis album? The kind of blue the, one. Kind of blue. Yeah, is album number three. Uh, album number four. Engelbert Humperdinck. Please release me. Okay. Uh, a- album number five. Till Oyland Spiegel uh, by the German National Orchestra. Copyright 1962. Gifted to me uh, by an elder. Those are my five albums. Gorgeous. And what what classic favorite book are you bringing just to keep you company? Oh, Portrait of the Artist as the Young Man, James Joyce, without James a doubt. Joyce, Number one. Second one is, uh, what's my second favorite? I got two big favorites out of there. Portrait of the Artist as the Young Man. Oh, of course, Tom Sawyer. That's Tom it. Those Sawyer. Are my two Tom I, Sawyer, babe. I'm good. When I was trying to be cool with you, I... Um, I went to your apartment off Illinois Street and I brought you uh, a copy of On the Road by Jack Kerouac that I picked up. I still own that. Yeah? I still own that. Dude, that's in a trunk. Are you kidding? You think (laughs) I would part with that? You know, I loved Kerouac because he was on television. Yeah. You can see Jack Kerouac with Steve Allen. Oh, my God, yeah. That stream of consciousness stuff was beautiful. I think it affected all of us. Well, Ed, you know how I feel about your brother. You've been uh, you've been there, a guiding light for many years. I wish you all the success. Florida Man Radio app, download it. Listen to the Ed Till Show. Get re-inspired about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. God bless you, brother. Same here, Michael. My love, my appreciation, and I look forward to next time. But you're always getting a good vibe, uh, pick me up, uh, you got your, your kids, you are just, you do make it your business to put other people in a good mood. Thank so you. I want you to know it lands on the uh, consumption end big time from 1,000, uh, 1,500 miles away. Thank you. Thank you, brother. That means a lot. And I'll t- The Mike Tamano Happening. 